since the Bible was written, Christians and Jews have struggled over the problem of what to do about the rich and the poor. This is no surprise because ever since there has been humanity on the earth, we have struggled over the issue of equality or inequality regarding the rich and the poor. Politics is somewhat about this. Nations struggle over this. Each of us struggles with it as well. When I say struggle, I don't mean that the question is whether we need to do something about that, for that, as a Christian, is not the question. But what is it that we are supposed to do, and how is it that we are to do it? It being whatever brings justice to those who are in the midst of injustice, those who were last and lost and least. For Christians, the question is not what that we do it, but what we do it and how. The Bible is ambiguous about many things, but not this one. It is the biblical law from beginning to end to work for justice for the poor because this is God's will. The book of James understands this clearly and is courageous enough to stand up in his church during his day. The question we have to ask is, what is this passage saying to us in our church this day? Here are the words of James to the church, beginning in the first verse of chapter 2 and ending with the 17th verse. I will leave out verse 12. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand over there, sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blasphemy the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, 
go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do nothing to supply their bodily needs, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. This is the word of the Lord. The facts are, and I got these facts from a nonprofit that was created and supported by UPS, one of the great business organizations in our country, the Annie E. Casey Foundation. The facts are that the playing field is not level. According to the statistics, 1.8 million children have one or more parent in prison. Communities of color are disproportionately affected. African-American children are nine times more likely, and Latino children are three times more likely than white children to have a parent in prison. These children are more likely to be exposed to parental substance abuse, extreme poverty, and domestic violence. Prison is a ticket into the black hole. A vast body of research finds that youth placed in pretrial detention are far more likely to be formally charged, found delinquent, and committed to youth corrections facilities than similarly youngsters who are permitted to remain at home pending their court hearings. Also, African-American, Latino, and American Indian youth are far more likely than their white counterparts to be detained even after controlling for seriousness of offense, offending history, and other factors. In 1985, 43% of juvenile detainees nationwide were youth of color. In 2011, youth of color were 71% of the detained youth population. Is this only the fault of the offending youth or is there some systemic injustice built into the scheme of things? Let's talk about money. When the already rich are the prime beneficiaries of economic gain, the playing field is clearly not level. And when it is the rich who pay to get their candidates elected, the system gets even more distorted. Economic inequality in the United States is now at its highest level in nearly a century since 1928. Our country has the most unequal distribution of income and wealth of all, all developed nations. For those who earn low wages and have few to no assets, a shrinking middle class and diminished hopes of getting ahead threaten the well-being of millions of low-income families and their children. Most income gains go to high earners, while incomes for middle and working class families have stagnated or declined. In 2013, median household income was $51,939, still 8% lower than in 2007, the year before the recession started. According to census data, 19% of income went to the top 1% in 2013, up from 8% of total income in the 1970s. Between 2009 and 2012, the top 1% of Americans 
enjoyed 95% of all income gains, according to the research from UC Berkeley. The wealth gap is far starker than the income gap, even. The top 1% own 40% of the nation's financial wealth, while the bottom 80% own only 7%. Over the last 30 years, the bottom 60% of the population has seen their wealth decline, while the top 5% has seen it grow almost exponentially. In 2007, 12.1% of Americans lived in poverty. In 2012, it was 17.2. Some economists and economic books say that this is simply the result of a free capitalistic system at work. The Bible book says that this is primarily the result of greed and sin. It does not, except in a few places, call for socialism. Instead, it calls for justice. From Genesis to Revelation, the charge to care for the poor is ever-present. In the Gospels, it comprises at least one-tenth of everything written. James is no exception. He was in a fight with the rich. Mostly they were Romans who had infiltrated the church to see if any were traitors and they would come in with their gold rings and rich clothes. James calls for justice and he defines it as treating our neighbor in the same way that we would want ourselves to be treated. The royal law, the golden rule, and this means caring for them in the same way we would like to be cared for if we were in those same circumstances. There's one school of thought that says the best way to do this is through charitable or governmental agency. But at least as far as charity is concerned, it's a little bit like spraying perfume on the cesspools of social injustice. It doesn't get to the root of the systemic injustice that exists while it also continues to enable dependency. There's another school of thought that says the best way out of the inequality gap is through jobs. Jobs provide wages as well as respect and independence for those who are working, plus they give something back to society. I'm for this. In a perfect world, this is the best solution, except for the fact that most of the jobs being created are the lowest paying at minimum wage providing service like fast food. Plus, many of those jobs are unjust. It used to be that in the labor pool at Atlanta, in Atlanta, they would pay someone $25 to work all day as a basic laborer on a construction job, only there was a catch. You had to have a hard hat. And most of the people there, specifically homeless who needed the money, didn't own a hard hat, and so they would charge $8 to rent it. They would walk away with something less than $15 for a full day's work. Good jobs with a livable wage is one thing. Part-time jobs at minimum wage with no benefits is something else. Some people say more education is needed to help the poor so that they will be better able to work at higher paying jobs. I'm for this. But the playing field of education is not even either. 
with independent schools and mostly white suburban schools providing more resources and better teachers than most urban and minority schools. Some people say that poor people should step up and be more responsible. I'm for that. Yes, but in the same way as rich people are, who were generally, we, born on third base, thinking that we hit a home run? Are there systemic injustices built into the way things are that make it harder for folks to get out of poverty? Yes. Educational, social, racial, legal, medical, and governmental systems that sometimes help but oftentimes hinder those who are most needy. There is systemic injustice built into the scheme of things just as there are those who give up and choose to stay on the dole. By now you are probably feeling bludgeoned by all of this, like the man who lost his way in the backwoods at night feeling his way forward by blindness and all of a sudden came a thunderstorm. The man floundered around in the darkness through the rain and the wind, peering into the darkness for some illumination. With a sudden crack of thunder, for the tenth time he would fall to the ground on his knees, and finally he turned to the sky and lamented, Lord, if it's all the same to you, I could do with a little more light and a little less noise. James sheds some light on what we are called to do, but it may not illuminate the direction we want to go. You have seen the bumper sticker, if you want peace, work for justice. Well, James's sticker is Christ's sticker, I believe, and that is, if you want justice, love. James, quoting Jesus, apparently says that the solution to justice is to love your neighbor as yourself. Justice towards others is an agape love toward them. It is treating them the way you would like to be treated. It is making the same excuses for them that we make for ourselves. It is trying to understand their condition and how we would like to be treated in that condition. This means to own up to the incredible grace and mercy that we have been given by God and then to give this mercy back. We are Armani-clad blind beggars, each of us, standing at the foot of Christ with our hands out begging for mercy. And it is that mercy that we are given. None of us, the richest or the poorest, has done anything to earn it or deserve it. We're simply panhandlers for God's grace. And God, we are told by James, shows no partiality for the rich or the poor, the black or the white, the Greek or the Jew, the male or the female. God does not play favorites. James says if a poor person or a rich person comes into church, don't treat one better than the other because God doesn't. Do the ushers do that? Maybe. Do we? I think so. 
this works both ways, of course. Many justice-centered Christians tend to show partiality against the rich. While working at the Open Door Community, an organization in Atlanta, not this summer but the last, serving the homeless. It is a, a homeless community, a community that serves the homeless and also serves as an advocacy in the city. While working there at lunch, one of the hosts, one of the members of the Open Door community looked at me and said, don't you think that God loves poor people more than rich people? I almost choked on my food. While God may be on the side of justice and those who are the victims of injustice, James is clear that God loves without partiality. This is why James offers this imperative, hold the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without favoritism. And another imperative, love your neighbors as yourself. And a third imperative, we are judged by the standard of mercy that we practice. As those who have received mercy, we must give mercy in return. This is the ground of stewardship and faithful response. Having been given much, we are called to give much in return. So I invite you to come forward bringing the mercy of God that you have received and laying it on the table so that it may be turned into the body of Christ and your life back into the world.